one of my favorite moments in the life of Jesus was when he was baptized by his cousin John. It's just such a powerful moment, just rich with emotion and meaning. And we're told by Matthew, one of Jesus' closest followers, that right after that Jesus was baptized, that something amazing happened. Uh, he uh, tells us that as soon as Jesus was baptized, and I just try to imagine Matthew's frustration, like how, how to describe this moment, but here's how he describes it. He describes it as that heaven was open and the Spirit of God descended like a dove alighting on Jesus. And then a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And there's a lot of reasons why this moment is so huge and so important to me, but one of them is, is because uh, one of my primary, what's called a love language, one of my primary love languages is words of affirmation. And what this means is that one of the biggest ways that I feel loved is when people, especially certain people, especially my wife, see something good in me or something that I've done, or they see something that they perceive as good or valuable, and then they speak it or they send me a note and they use words to point it out. So conversely, that's the way that I primarily show love, is to see something good in or about someone, to see something good and to verbally or in writing, just to point it out, to celebrate it, to, to point to it and to let them know that I notice. And in, in this moment, something significant is happening because Jesus came to introduce God to us as Heavenly Father who loves us. Not imperfect earthly father, but the perfection of father. And in this moment, we get a glimpse of a loving father speaking words of encouragement into his son. And I believe this was more than just some sort of outburst of emotion from God the Father, partly because of what happens next. And you can read that for yourself. But I believe that this moment was very much for Jesus because yes, He was fully God, but He was also fully man like you and like me. And to, for Jesus to hear from His Heavenly Father, I love you. I'm proud of you. Which is a side note, is a deep longing for all of us from childhood, right? I mean, all of my four sons, they're all very different, but one thing that they all shared in common was the countless times that I would hear when they were growing up, Daddy, watch. Daddy, watch. Daddy, watch me. Watch me. And, and which was what they basically, they wanted me to watch whatever awesome thing they were about to do and then to celebrate it, say that was awesome, clap for them, and tell them I love them. And Jesus had just done something huge. He had publicly identified with the message of John and affirmed this message. He's, and he's ultimately inaugurating his public ministry, his earthly ministry. And it's if God was saying, hey, you've just done something huge. You're about to do something huge. I am proud of you. And I love you. And I celebrate you. But with all that you're about to face in the days and the weeks and the months to come, you're going to be tempted to doubt my love. You're going to be tempted to doubt that I'm proud of you. And though, as I said, Jesus was essentially God in a bod, as I said, Jesus was also fully human like you and I, which means he experienced all the things that we experience. He experienced joy and he experienced sorrow. He experienced laughter and he experienced tears, as well as facing all the insecurities and fears that we face when it comes to ourselves, when it comes to our identities, to when it comes to how we feel like God sees us and feels about us and values us and our lovability. 
And over the past weeks, we've been looking at what we've called life apps, because anything that Jesus or the New Testament writers, for any of it to do any good for you or for me, we have to, we have to actually apply it. And today we're going to talk about one of my favorite life apps, the life app of encouragement. Now, a few years ago, a group called the Gottman Institute and other researchers, they identified that in your conversations, whether it's at work or at home or with your family, uh, with your spouse and your dating relationship, when it comes to your children, whatever it may be, there's an average rate of our conversations. Uh, There's an average ratio of encouragement to criticism. And what they discovered is that on average, for every one comment of encouragement, there are six comments of criticism. Okay, so for every one encouragement, six criticisms. Now this is so important for us, especially right now. And, and, and this is, so this is what this looks like. Every day, you and I have conversations. A lot of them kind of feel or seem to be mundane. So for everyone, hey, thanks for doing that. Or hey, you're, you're a great husband. You're a great son. You're a great daughter. Babe, you look beautiful. Wow, that was a great idea. Uh, You did great on that project. You did great on that report. Hey, thanks for all you do. For every one of those, there are six. Why don't you listen to me? Why don't you ever listen to me? Why why don't you do what I tell you to do? Why do you do what I tell you not to do? How come? Why aren't you more like your brother? Like, why aren't you more like so-and-so? For every one positive, six critical. And this explains a lot. This explains why so many workplaces are so negative and dysfunctional because the majority of conversations and interactions are negative and dysfunctional. And when the conversations in the workplace are toxic, the workplace is going to be toxic. This explains why so many marriages struggle because statistically, for every one positive conversation, there's an average of six negative or critical So when conversations in a marriage are primarily negative, then of course it becomes toxic. And what do we do? We begin to shut down in that relationship. In fact, if anyone has ever said to you, I just, I feel like I can't ever do anything right in your eyes. This is the exact dynamic that they're pointing to. In fact, the flip side of the research shows that the best, happiest, most effective relationships uh, have what they term the magic ratio. It's essentially the same for the workplace, but specific to marriage, they wrote, the magic ratio is five to one. That this means for every negative interaction, a stable, happy marriage has five or more positive interactions. Five positives for each negative. Yet, here's the problem. Nobody in the room, nobody online, none of us are going to argue we should encourage others more. But the problem is, we see encouragement as a nice thing to do, but not critical and not urgent. And that in and of itself is a huge problem. Because if encouragement is just a nice thing to do, we are going to drift towards criticism. You don't drift towards encouragement, do you? We just don't. In fact, let me ask you a question. If you were to just pause this moment and reflect back on your conversations and interactions over the last seven days, whether it was at home or work, on the job, in your Zoom meetings, whatever, what would the ratio be? Can you guess? 
Like, not really quickly, and maybe not at all, but here's an interesting ex- exercise. It would be interesting for you to go home or for you to log off today, and then for you to speak to somebody very close to you, whether it's a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a child, some family member, and, and have uh, sit down, and you write down what you think your ratio was, and then have them write down what they think your ratio was, and then compare your answers. Like, that'd be a little scary to do, and yet... Far more than just a, a, a nice thing to do. See, we, we just go through, we, we just talk and talk and talk, and we never really pay attention to this. And yet, this is far more important than a nice thing to do. This is urgent, and this is critical. And even as I'm talking, some of you listening to me right now, you're, you may be feeling a little bit emotional, because quite honestly, your encouragement bucket is empty. It's been a while since you heard some words of encouragement and you're, you're kind of starving and you're just longing to hear words of encouragement and for most of you, especially from a specific person or persons in your life. And so all of us, if we're not intentional, we miss this and we will drift towards the negative. But if we, if we choose to intentionally go the other direction, the great news is it not only benefits the people that you interact with, it is a win-win because it will come back to you. Now to help us with this, we're going to look at two verses. Uh, the first is from the Old Testament, from the book of Proverbs, chapter 11. If you're not familiar with the book of Proverbs, it was written by a king. His name was Solomon. He's, he's often referred to as the wealthiest, wisest man that ever lived. The other text is from the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. And we're going to dig down on this principle of encouragement because there's so much at stake for you and for the people that matter to you and the people around you. So the first is Proverbs 11.25, just half a proverb. Solomon says this, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Uh, You can also use the word replenished here as well, that he or she who replenishes will themselves be replenished. In other words, it's it's a win-win. The second verse is from the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, and the author writes this, encourage one another. How often? Daily. As long as it's called today. In other words, don't procrastinate. This isn't just a nice thing to do. This is critical. This is urgent. Do it today. Do it every day so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In in other words, every one of us is susceptible to becoming discouraged, hardened, disillusioned, feeling negative, and responding to all the negatives that we hear and we experience in our life. Many of us in this room or joining us online personally have been impacted by a loved one who attempted or committed suicide. And what's common with all of us that survived them, what do we think? I wish I would have said something. I, I wish I would have said something before it got that bad. I wish I would have known. I would have said something to encourage them. And most, if not all of us, to some extent to another, we battle the voices in our heads that say, you're not enough. You're unlovable. You're unworthy. You don't have what it takes. If people knew the real you, they wouldn't like you. And so putting these two texts together, what we discover is that this spans every generation. 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, today, the never-changing reality is that all of us need to be encouraged 
every generation of every race, every culture, every gender, everyone struggles. Many, many in secret with self-doubt and anxiety, depression and fear and insecurity. It's just true. So you're not alone. Years ago, Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, said this, How do you know if a man or a woman needs encouragement? If they're breathing. All of us, to a certain extent, we're plagued by self-doubt and insecurity in some form or fashion. And, and I can prove it. Ladies, let me tell you about the men in your life, the men in the room, the men watching online. Uh, every man wrestles with and carries around a question. Now, they may deny it, and that's okay, except that they're lying. The question that we men carry around is this. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Do, do I have what it takes to do this job? Do I have what it takes to be a leader? Do I have what it takes to be a good husband? Do I have what it takes to be a good dad? Do, do I have what it takes? And then we go into the world and the world says, no, you don't. And if we do that, we go into the world and we get beat up, please don't miss this. If we get home and the ratio is one positive to six negative and the conversations at home look like that and we're wrestling with this question, do I have what it takes? I'm just telling you that's a tough place for us as men to live. Men, let me flip the question. Let me speak specifically to husbands to, to phrase this. Husbands, do you know what the wives ask? Do you know what your wife asks? They ask, does he notice me? Does he notice me? Does he notice who I am? Does he notice what I'm doing? Does he think I'm pretty? Does he think I'm special? Does he notice me? Does he value me? And ladies, I know, we husbands, we can be so clueless because we just assume you know that you're special. We married you. Like, doesn't that tell you everything you need to know? But, but I can prove that ladies are asking the question, do you notice me? See, ladies, they get their hair cut. Actually, they get it done. And then what do they do? They wait. It's a cruel game, ladies. Okay, it's a cruel game, right? See, they never tell you they got their hair cut or hair done, but then they come home and then they wait. And I don't know what the time limit is, five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe 15, but so, at some point the buzzer has gone off and you know it's gone off when they look at you and go, did you notice I got my hair cut? And at that point, guys, you have failed the test, all right? Just, and, and part of the other, does he notice me, guys, is when we've got a decision to make or a problem to solve. And does he notice me? Also, does he value my mind? Because sometimes, men, we get into this stereotypical male mode of fixer, right? We fix things. There's a problem. I can fix that. So I've got this. And, and to my shame, I cannot count how many times I got so focused on figuring out something myself that I didn't ask, or in my stupid pride, I blew off advice from my wife, who was always from the beginning smarter than me. I knew it in the relationship. Or as guys, sometimes we confuse being asked a question with being questioned. And if we feel like somehow our intellect and ability and manliness is being challenged, we just tend to push back and get defensive and, tr and shut our wives down. And, and from painful experience, I tell you it's a mistake. Because not only are you likely to make a decision you regret, but you shut down the most important person in your life. Someone who has an innate need that only you can legitimately fulfill. Do you notice me? 
Am I special? Do you think I'm pretty? Do you value me? This is what most ladies are wondering. In fact, dads, dads with daughters, okay? If you have a daughter, do you know what society does and is doing to young women? Culture tells them that their worth is in their physical appearance. And they're not pretty enough. They're not skinny enough. They're not good enough. And they don't measure up to the computer-enhanced, filtered image of the supermodels on the magazines and the checkout aisles or the filtered image, is, images on TikTok or Instagram. And they hear that day in and day out. And if you get busy with work and other things and you don't notice your daughter, you don't look her in the eye and tell her, you are beautiful. You are special. You are strong. You are brave. You are smart. I see you. Then you leave your daughter vulnerable. And for sons, hey, I see you. I'm proud of you. You do have what it takes. You have what it takes. I see it in you. And I love you. And you know, if we're not careful, that, that, you know where we get this right? Funerals. Right? That's the irony. I mean, man, he was the greatest guy who ever lived, or she was so awesome, or I always cherished this about them, or I always loved this about them, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the, there's just one problem. They're dead. They're gone. As Sean Covey once wrote, don't wait until people are dead to give them flowers. Do it now. Do it today. It's more than just a nice thing to do at home, at school, in the workplace. It's critical. It's urgent. Encouragement is huge. You've got to fight for this. That's why if you're a boss or a leader or a manager of any sort, if you want to become a better leader or a better manager to increase productivity, to slow down turnover, uh, I'll give you a question to you to start asking your employees. And actually, I, I learned this from my dad years ago when I was a teen and he didn't think I was paying attention. But one of the things that, that made my dad a successful leader at multiple departments at Boeing was how he treated those who worked with him, for him, and who he worked for. And the thing that set my dad apart as a leader and why the departments he led had high morale and low turnover and were successful was that he genuinely cared about people as people, not just employees. And I remember him once telling me, Chad, if you're ever a leader, remember that you never just deal with an employee, you deal with a family. Anything good or bad they experience with you or on the job is going to go home with them. It's going to affect an entire family, and then that's going to come back to work with them as well. It's all connected. So here's a simple question that won't cost you anything. You need to ask your employees or anybody that reports to you, hey, how are you doing? At least twice as much as what are you doing? You need to ask them, like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, we're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about your job. But, but how, before we get into that, how are you doing? How are you liking it here? How's your family? How are you doing? And the reason this is so important is it will remind you that this is a person, not just an employee. That, that, that Like you, this is a person that is plagued by self-doubt and insecurity. And it's going to remind you that especially if you're a Jesus follower, that you want to be a leader who creates a great work environment High morale, low turnover, high productivity. But if you don't do this, your work environment is going to naturally drift to the six negative to one positive environment. And the bottom line suffers when conversations in the workplace look like this. It's up to you. And the amazing thing is, you don't have to be a boss to influence this. 
Okay, you, there, nobody has to report to you. Whatever your role, you just begin to apply the app of encouragement towards your boss, towards your peers. Nobody reports to you, fine. The customers, the employees, the clients, whatever, it's going to be a win-win. Let me point to you to another place to do this. If you have kids, do this with your kids' teachers, especially these days. Okay, when it came to our kids, uh, their mom and I were a little more old school. Like if they got in trouble, we just automatically assume it was our kid. The kid's the problem, not the teacher, okay? But we did have one time with a second son, with, with our second son, the teacher went a little overboard. He came home really upset. When I heard what, what happened in this instance, there was no question that the teacher had crossed the line and uh, how she had handled my son. So I was actually pretty angry. And I messaged her, said, hey, I'd like to have a conversation tomorrow morning. We arranged it. Uh, we, so I'm driving to school the next day. And honestly, I just started praying. I just started praying, God, give me the right words. Give me the wisdom because this teacher has clearly crossed the line. And I'm angry. Help me to handle this in a way that honors you, honors her, and honors my son. And so once I was in the school, I got into the classroom. It was just the two of us. And in a moment, I felt my emotions just suddenly subside and there were words I chose to speak which should be no shock based on what I just talked about I just simply leaned forward and I asked her how are you doing she just broke down and started weeping she immediately apologized for how she'd handled my son the day before she had she shared how earlier in the day previous she had just found out that she and her husband were going to have a baby and then about an hour or two later got a call from his job and he got laid off and they didn't know what they were going to do. And so not only asking this question did it save me from making her life more complicated and more painful, it actually opened the door to encourage her more and encourage her in the weeks to come as she and her husband navigated this together. And so especially with all the challenges that educators are experiencing these days, and some of you are educators, man, message them. Send them notes. Let them know how much you care about what they're doing. Encourage them to stay strong and don't give up. And ask, how can you help them? How can you support them or resource them? Ladies, I picked on the husbands earlier, so I'd like to challenge the wives for a second. Do you have any idea how powerful your voice is for your husband? Do you have any idea? We long to hear your appreciation, your respect, your encouragement. In fact, Surveys show that one of the consistently one of the top five needs of a man is admiration. There's just something in nearly all of us as men, we just long to be admired, but especially by our wives. In fact, I can vividly remember moments in our marriage where I've expressed concern or self-doubt uh, to Shauna and only to have her reply, you got this. You can do this. You have what it takes. And I'm telling you, with my wife's encouragement, I can charge hell with a water pistol. Wives, don't discount your voice when it comes to your husbands. They need and want to hear respect and encouragement. And if there's a part of you, well, I don't know if he's worthy of respect or encouragement. Well, I'll tell you the easiest way to turn your husband into a man that deserves respect and encouragement, and that's to give it to him. Because what gets rewarded gets repeated. And he's going to love it and feed off of it. Parents, if your kids are old enough to understand this, if you were to sit on the edge of their bed tonight and go, hey, what's my ratio? When it, when it comes to our conversations with you as your mom or your dad, what's the ratio of criticism to encouragement? Negative to positive, what, what would they say? 
If it's a two-parent home, ask each other. And then don't get defensive when you get the answer you don't want to hear. Listen. Let me flip it. Especially if you're a teen or a young adult. What's the ratio of criticism to encouragement when it comes to your parents? See, when it comes to our parents, sometimes it's difficult for us to see them as real people. But they're real people. So let me ask you, what's your ratio of criticism to encouragement? And you might say, well, Chad, my parents are so dysfunctional. I just can't do it. Well, maybe the reason they're dysfunctional is because so many of the words and conversations and experience they've had in their lives, even long before you were born, were six negative to one positive. But you wouldn't necessarily know that because you haven't lived in their environments and worked in the environments that they worked in or been raised by the parents they raised with, your grandparents, who you look at them and they just seem so gray and soft and sweet and fluffy, you know, but they're really just old people trying to get into heaven. And if you're not careful, you can just become part of the chorus of negative voices. And then let me talk about the final group of people that you interact with where this is so important. Every day, every time you bump into somebody in your day-to-day life and you have these brief conversations, it's an opportunity for encouragement. And you might think, Chad, it's not that big of a deal for me to encourage the waiter or the barista or the cashier. Let me tell you about something about encouragement. Encouragement is never small when you're on the receiving end of it. Never. And you have opportunities here every day. And I can't tell you the number of times I've given an encouragement or a compliment or a praise to a barista or a server or a cashier and just had them right in that moment just tear up right in front of me because I had no idea what was going on in their life. Or the times I've gone out of my way to see a manager to praise one of their employees, the response is always one of a little bit of shock and amazement. You know why? What are they used to hearing when somebody asks for a manager? Complaints. So I'm telling you, you're going to stand out if you go out of your way to give encouragement. And especially if you're a Jesus follower, this is what should define you. And it's a win-win. You will get better service next time. There's a specific Starbucks in Wichita that I basically officed at for the last four years. And anytime, uh, periodically, I'll get an email asking for feedback about my experience. And not only do I give is all the feedback I can, but I also share it with the store manager as well. And I remember the first time I showed Kristen this feedback, she just teared up on the spot. And then later on shared it with her employees. I found out after the fact because then the next day when I came in, they all saw me. I got big extra, you know, extra big smiles. They called me by name. And then after that, in the very rare instance that these baristas make an error, suddenly I'd be working and suddenly they'd be like by my table like, hey, we made a mistake with this drink. Would you like to have it? Like, Not at all. So I take it in, right? And, and uh, there have been days, uh, in fact, just in the last few months, there's been, the manager's been training one of the baristas, and I'll be working, all of a sudden I'll hear, Chad, I'm training a new barista. What drink should they make? And I tell them, and they make it, and then they come and give it to me. I'm just telling you, win-win. But the bottom line is that we're just surrounded by people that have so much on their shoulders, especially right now. Oh my gosh, and do they need encouragement? We have single parents and widows that are part of our community. And for some of you, they're in your lives. And it could be a call or a note. It could be that you show up and just get the leaves out of the yard or mow it. It could be whatever. But, but somehow that you communicate that though divorce or death has changed their lives forever, they are not alone and that you see them. Now let me say this. If 
you hear this and you go, Chad, I mean, this is all great, but what about me? Because right now, I need encouragement. My bucket is empty. I need some replenishment. I need someone to speak into my life. What about me? And that's a great question. Now, now sadly, part of the problem is for some of us, the reason we haven't received encouragement, the encouragement we need, is because we have people in our lives and many people don't feel good enough about themselves to let you feel good about you. It's just the truth. Many people don't feel good about themselves, so they find it hard to help you or even let you feel good about yourself. For some of us, that explains the home we grew up in, right? For, it explains maybe your parents, that they weren't that encouraging. For some of us, it explains the workplace that we work in. For some of us, it explains the marriage that we were in or that we are in. So what do you do? I mean, if they're not going to encourage me, what am I supposed to do? I mean, that's why Solomon's insight is so brilliant. That when you replenish others, you will be replenished. In, in other words, what Solomon is saying, especially if you're a God follower, you have to go first. You lead the way. You have to take the first step in changing the ratio. You take the step to replenish and encourage. And when you replenish others, it inevitably changes the dynamic. And in time, if, if there is ever a chance for you to be replenished in that environment, is you taking the first step. This is the strategy. Now, again, this is a principle, not a promise. There might be some exceptions, but in most situations, over time, it will affect change. But there is another tangible step, and that is to begin to invite encouragers into your life. Another pastor I know has often said, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Not long ago, I talked about my desire that everyone that would get connected to New Life would also get connected to 2 to 12 other people in their life on a consistent basis that are hopefully part of the community and begin doing life together, connecting at least on a weekly basis in authentic community because we're not designed to do life alone. And we need people in our lives that can and will encourage us. So here's my homework assignment for you this week that will hopefully continue on. Your first step is this. It's just simply to answer the question, who am I going to encourage today? Who am I going to encourage today? And then do it. That today, before the sun sets, which is setting earlier these days, that you will initiate encouragement, unsolicited, a face-to-face -face conversation, over Zoom, over the phone, a text, a message, an email. It doesn't matter. Who are you going to encourage? In fact, I'm going to get in your business a little bit more. As for those, for all of you, do you realize there are certain words that only have meaning for certain people in your life if they come from you. The same words can be said by anybody else. It is not going to mean the same in coming from you. Husbands and wives, do you realize that you are the only legitimate source for certain words for your spouse? Husbands, and listen, I'll qualify... I have an unfair, unfair advantage over a lot of you guys of men be just because I'm wired words of encouragement. So I get it. It's not fair. It is what it is. But here's an example. Uh, I regularly leave notes by my wife's coffee cup in the morning. And recently I simply wrote this on one of the, the notes. You are smart, funny, disciplined, beautiful, 
captivating, cherished, and loved by me. The world is a better place because you're in it. And I love you. Now men, what other man can legitimately say or write those things to my wife without me giving a beat down? No man. Men, there are words that your wife needs and may even be longing to hear that can only come from you. You need to understand that. This is critical and it's urgent and needs to be done daily. Ladies, same deal. There are words of encouragement and admiration that coming from any other woman would not mean the same and quite honest, honestly would be illegitimate and you too would be ready to deliver your own beatdown if another woman said certain words to your husband because it would be crossing the line, but not with you. From you, it's what should be. And it's urgent and it's critical. Parents, when was the last time you said something encouraging to your kids? Even during that time where they're more closed off and sullen adolescents and they act like they don't care, they care. My second challenge, it's more big picture, but as we move to the end of 2020 into a new year, that in all of your circles of conversations that you would not be average. Instead, you would decide, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to embrace the magic ratio five to one. I'm making this my goal. Five positive interactions for every one negative. And for some of you, again, I know words of encouragement don't come natural to you. And maybe if you're honest, you'd admit I'm really kind of in the category that right now I'm someone I don't feel that good about myself. And so I find it difficult to, to help or even let other people feel good about themselves. And you're not alone. But Solomon is exactly right. If you force yourself to begin encouraging one way or another, it's going to come back to you and it's going to help you and you're going to be refreshed. And let me tell you from personal experience, you have no idea the impact your words may have. There are people in your life right now, it may be a friend, it may be a family member, a cashier at the store, that right now they are on the brink of a breakdown. Especially right now. But you don't know it. There are people in your life that are drowning in anxiety and fear and insecurity. They feel utterly alone and unseen. They are emotionally and physically exhausted and discouraged and overwhelmed, but they're also too ashamed or afraid to admit it. So it's bottled up and they just cover it with a smile every day. And your unexpected words will be water to their soul. You may literally save a life. In this side of heaven, you may never know the power of your words that pulled somebody back from the brink. And if you're someone that has been encouraged by the words of another person, you need to tell them what it meant to you. Because if ever there was a time we needed to inundate our world around us with encouragement, it is right now. Let's pray. Father, I, just, I pray for us. For most of us, this last year, we just feel a bit beaten down. It's a little harder for us to be positive, a little harder for us to be encouraging. We've been through a season of such incredible tension politically, socially, health. 
And Father, we're facing a lot of challenges. So I pray for us. I pray for this community, for everyone listening to my voice. I pray, God, that You truly would breathe life into our souls and that You would help us by Your Spirit to become known by our encouragement. That when we interact with people later today and this week and in the weeks to come, that when we log off or leave a person's presence, that they will feel better off for having been in our presence or engaged with us. Make us those kinds of people, Father. And I pray, Father, for those that are struggling right now because they are just, they're just starving for some encouragement. That in the meantime, that you would show up in the way that only you can to encourage their soul, encourage their heart, and to remind them or reveal to them that they are priceless to you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.